everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not recording this podcast or writing all about training, nutrition, and endurance sports, I am probably at the moment either getting ready for my first race of the season or panicking about the fact that my first fiction book, Shred Girls Lindsay's Joyride, is coming out in just a week. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm an endurance coach and a registered kinesiologist. And this is the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk to people who move in a variety of ways or do different sports or, or just excel in a, a single movement or sport and sort of can teach us all a little bit about that. So that's where you are. Thank you for arriving in this place again or for the first time. Um, and yeah, we're, we're very happy to be here this week. We're talking on a one topic, but uh, what, else is, what else is going on beyond our one topic for today? Oh, well, I did my, my last long run ahead of my upcoming race. I feel like if you've been listening to this uh, podcast for a while, you've kind of heard the last few months, like between, you know, minor knee injury and travel and all this stuff, I feel like I've uh, I've kind of accidentally built up this race to be a much bigger deal, um, both in my head and probably in, in talking to people than it actually is. I, this is on my calendar as like a sea race. Um, so I keep reminding myself to kind of relax and, I don't know, enjoy this next week and chill out heading into it. So that's that's where I am right now is kind of this weird state of worrying about a race, but then also not worrying about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, there's always that anticipation, right? Before and then we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the first race of the season, the pre-race jitters, the, you know, you're knocking the cobwebs off, so to speak, on your your start line technique and you're not really sure what's going to happen because it's been you know almost a year since the last time you were well i'm not sure the start line technique in a 50k is quite as important okay so that was exactly what i thought last august at the killington uh, mountain run that i did and if i hadn't just like gone at the start to follow the like group of three women that kind of collected towards the front like I would have lost them in the first 5K, and I probably never would have caught up with the woman I eventually passed. Yeah, I guess fair enough. But I mean, it's not like 100 meters if you're, or, or like your start position is so important that like you'll never get around to get in with them in the first like kilometer even, right? Like you, you have time and room when you're on foot. And I'm, it's not like Boston Marathon, like you're coming from like 10,000 throws. No. But I'm still gonna I'm still gonna say like yes and no because if you go out at like, we got a race, yeah, and if you go out at kind of the right hard enough speed, you don't have to end up sprinting around people. And I mean, it's not like trail running turns out to be pretty similar to mountain biking, right? Like the areas in which you can pass are just not that plentiful, and especially unfortunately when you're female at these races, I think there's a bit of like a bro type mentality amongst some of the men who are going out really hard that are probably going to blow by 4k but get really well, I like to encourage hot under the, the collar the ladies that i work with we work on being firm and and yelling well uh, clearly it's definitely like if you're going to be at the front right like you just have to be you just have to go for it right and it's but that also involves the confidence to know that you can get around the guy. There's definitely a lot of times where you well, get up behind them and you're like, the two oh. things probably go together, I guess. Right. But 
So yeah, I think we'll tie in maybe to your race for the today, but is there any other, there's no other updates, just really your books coming out. We have Shred Girls, shred-girls.com. You can look on this on Amazon. This is coming out on the 7th, mm-hmm. which you've, re- I keep saying the 9th, but it's the 7th. I feel like now um, you've just gotten the 9th in everyone's head. It is well, the 7th. It's the 7th. And it, so it's on Amazon for pre-order. So you can just forget that date and just do it now if you're into that. We're doing a launch party on the day before Mother's Day, which is the Saturday, May 11th. And that's in Markham, Ontario, just near Toronto. Um, and, and that's a great event. You can find out details about that on shred-girls.com. Um, yeah. And it's it's just a great book, middle grade fiction. Um, check it out. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited, and I mean I've said it before. I'll say it this you know last time I guess because next time we do an episode, the book will actually be out and available to just you know one click and boom, it's at your door. Much more convenient. Yeah. Although but, the pre-sale, I've done a few of those, and they're they're pretty good. Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say is like the pre-orders are a huge help with the publishing company. It just kind of shows okay, this book you know actually is going to reach a bunch of people so you know the more pre-orders the bigger the the flood of books that go out on the day is so any and all pre-orders super appreciated email me for stickers if you do pre-order etc um yeah so any any updates on your end not really. Yeah, we're doing plans. It's plans have been really good this year. Actually, it's been really good interactions with people. A lot of people are getting when you say plans. So I have like coaching, which is like, you know, I'm interacting back and forth. And that's that's quite busy as well. Um, but I always sort of just push plans more so just because, you know, I can and sort of interact with people um, in like one day type thing where it's OK, we t- maybe talk on the phone and then you know, I build out a plan for three months. Usually I do them in three month blocks. There's some variety there, but that's how that works. And and so it gives people sort of a, a routine that's reminding, you know, all the things we talk about here, the recovery days, you know, some longer days, some harder days, um, weeks that are easier and so forth. So it's trying to avoid that, but then it also gives new workouts, right? A lot of times it's like, oh, I've never done this type of workout before, which sort of adds some variety, right? And some new interest, new purpose. So yeah, so I've been doing a bunch of those and that's it's, it's sort of now that we're into spring, right? You're sort of seeing people are like, oh, now I'm outside. What do I do type mm-hmm. thing, right? Maybe it's not as easy to follow, you know, some Zwift program or something. So mm-hmm. seeing a bit of that. And then skill stuff. We just did a clinic on the weekend too with a, a club as well. So that's starting to kick off and a couple dates left. I'm not even teasing them with this, but there's a, a couple weekends, maybe one weekend free with the summer and maybe one in the one or two in the, the fall. So if anyone has clubs or groups would love to do a little clinic with your group. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into this. Yeah, well, I was going to say on the topic of uh, kind of that, what do I do today for the daily workout now that we're outside and not on Zwift? Um, today's guest, Dr. Simon Marshall, he's the author of The Brave Athlete. He's a coach. He's a sports psychologist. He's one of like the smartest people I, I know. We've had him on, I think, twice already. Yeah. Um, and he's he's just got so many great things to say about pretty much any topic. And today's topic um, is really about what to do when you're in a workout and you are just not feeling it. So his uh, his section of that is kind of all about ways to sort of motivate yourself and get moving and get excited about your whatever's happening. So we talk about, you know, things like why a certain playlist or having a certain music on is going to help or you know, why thinking about your teammates or your family or any kind of you know external motivator is going to help. 
um, a few different kind of options. And they were actually, it kind of came through as I was doing an article on this, talking to the rally cycling or rally UHC cycling team about what motivates them to get through workouts. Um, but then I wanted to kind of get an expert take on why their motivators work. So we sort of go through the, the few motivators that the team uses and kind of explain why they work and how to kind of tweak them to make them even more effective. Uh, so it's a really interesting kind of way of looking at it from a psychological standpoint. But before we got into that, we kind of wanted to also talk about the, the physical side of it, which is, you know, sometimes when you're not feeling motivated, that can actually be an indicator that you need a break from training. Um, you know, especially if you're not working with a coach and you don't really have someone who's looking at your schedule and your numbers and you're just kind of following along with either you know a training plan you found in the back of a book or online or you're just kind of going out every day and sprinkling in whatever you think of for you know an interval workout or anything like that so it's kind of easy to start getting into dangerous territory we'll say so peter what are your physical indicators that a workout should continue or shouldn't continue yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Um, the I think you you touched on this, some good ones for sure. You know, I think you can almost we look at the what is the routine like, right? So it's almost like you end up talking more about before you're not motivated, and and so I was just talking about training plans and sort of having a recovery day or two, a recovery week. You know, having some undulation in the volume and intensity. So a long day maybe on your Sundays, hard day maybe on your Tuesday or Wednesday. And so you have this variety, right? So it's a lot, I always find it's a, when you get that routine going, it's way easier after your off day, you just want to go and rip the world apart, right? You know, when in like a good way. And then when it's Sunday, you know, you've already maybe gone hard on a Saturday or something. And it's like, you've already like, you've already done that. You've gone so hard the day before. You just want to go on a nice long ride, you know, maybe get a friend and just chat, you know. So I think that variety is a big way to head that off because then it's just, you're shifting the focus, you know, you're shifting the energy systems, you're shifting, you know, how hard you have to work and how you have to prepare and which, which playlist you're listening to, right? You maybe save the, the really hardcore stuff for the intensity days and maybe you're listening to a soothing podcast voice uh, on the other days, right? And so I think that that pre time is a really good way to head it off. And if you're having trouble, maybe take a recovery day and look at your schedule and sort of just reassess things. Yeah, I think uh, the big thing I think of when it comes to should I should I quit my workout uh, tends to be get dressed and get out the door and just go for five minutes before you decide you're going to quit your workout. Because I think a lot of us are very inclined to when the day is busy and we're just kind of stressed and just not feeling it to automatically be like, oh, I, I can't possibly do my workout today and skip the workout when a lot of the time the workout's probably gonna actually make us feel a lot better. Um, so I think before you decide to throw in the towel, just get out the door and do five minutes Yeah. and see where you're at after that five minutes. Cause I think probably 90% of people will keep going after five or well, you know, if it sucks, you turn around and sure. you come home. Yeah. And you're talking, like you said, quitting the workout, but you're actually talking more about starting the workout so this is like the difference between a dnf and a dns so mm -hmm. did not start right um and i think that's a good rule of thumb if if every other day this week's gone well and today you know especially for the busy people that you know again that i work with with coaching mostly there's the amount of stuff on these people's plates is a lot like they're up early they're maybe 
maybe training early, which is a good tactic in itself, but they're, you know, up, the kids are up, the kids are going to school, the kids have breakfast, the lunches, the, you know, then they have to get to an executive meeting or something. And then they're like out, you know, they have to do something else at lunch for the kids. And then they're doing this and then they're running to kids activities. And then, you know, there's just so much going on. And then, you know, somehow they're fitting in some, some exercise time, some time for themselves for a half hour, an hour. So mentally you're going to be, I'm tired even just thinking about all that. So you have to acknowledge that like just your brain is going to be like, I just want to sit on the couch and go to sleep. And that may be okay. But a lot of times once you're out, your body's actually like, yeah, this is great. And like your brain's like, oh, this actually is pretty good feeling good and mm-hmm. like being out in nature. So your, your strategy of starting, just start. There's no option. The clothes are laid out, just start. Mm-hmm. And once you're out, then you have a couple options, right? And this is where I think we get into that. Do you quit? Or do you continue? And I think there's a way to win most of those days. Like, A, I think a lot of times you'll feel okay and you can at least go through the motions for that day. So that might be, maybe it's not your best workout, but it's a workout. You know, you get the intervals done, but they're not maybe the best you've ever done. Hey, you don't get your best without having like, <laughs> Well, and I think that's numbers. a good message. And sometimes, especially with wattage now and some of these concepts like, or, or pace and running, if you're not at the best pace of your all life, it's sometimes folks, you know, they, they overthink that there's a range and you just need to put, keep putting hay in the barn. Sometimes it's half a hay bale. Sometimes it's a full hay bale. Sometimes it's one of those big round bales. It's the best day ever. Um, and, and so I think that message is good, right? Cause sometimes it's just a little bit of something in there is going to be a, a, a good thing. Right. And then the next day again, might be a longer day. It doesn't matter. And then you get a recovery day and then you get back to come back and hopefully you feel a bit better. It's a Saturday, right? So you maybe have a little more, ability to ease in so i think those are, are important facts and then i think some days you also have the option of maybe today just isn't an intensity day like it was planned i got out the door it's sunny so just switch off the gangster rap playlist go to the like soothing podcast voice podcast and just spin for an hour that's still that's half a bale of hay in the barn right and, and that's a win right we've got some hours in we've got whatever whatever thing you're counting and compiling in your barn of hay right it it counts right and then reassess when you get back sort of like with the sats where you got points for just writing your name well it is it's very much like that right it's you know in the math test where you show your work and you've done this and you've done this and you you get four out of five and the answer is not even right Mm -hmm. right so I think in the day, the, the micro sort of like way we might look at this, I think that's a good way to do it. Now, on day two, if you're still feeling crummy and the numbers aren't good and, and things like this, or the numbers are lower or maybe worse, you know, that knee pain's gotten worse would be another sort of obvious example, or, or you just like can't get out of bed. Then that's, I think, where you want to assess. Maybe it's time for a rest week, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a rest day. But I think as a rule of thumb, you don't want to add a rest day for the sake of one day, you want to get out the door. And I think that's the ultimate message. Yeah. I think the other way I kind of tend to trick myself, and I've, I've written about this a few times, is I have two options. I can finish my workout, or I can come home and do something that's equally annoying to me, which usually for me is like, I'm going to I'm gonna come home and I'm going to meditate for half an hour. Like, I'm not going to put on Riverdale on Netflix and right. veg out on the couch. I'm going to do something that's equally good for me. Um, And pretty often I realize I just want to go home and watch Netflix. It's not that I'm actually tired or like actually not in the right mind, like zone for it. 
I'm physically fine. I just want to go veg out. But when the option is like, that's just not an option. The option is like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do laundry. I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to work on this work project that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, versus I'm just going to go home and chill out and eat a snack and watch TV. Uh, I tend to motivate very quickly to keep going. Yeah, I think that's maybe a good argument for the morning workout where you don't, your brain hasn't seen as much of that stuff. Like you haven't seen the email list that you have to get home to. You haven't, you know, gotten so tired that then the couch is really even, you know, accessible and you're not going to necessarily sit on the couch. You know, a lot of people wouldn't do that TV watching till the evening. So I think in the evening, it's easier to compare your options. Right. Whereas in the morning, if you like have that, especially if you have the routine, but in the morning, it's just you're not going to sit down and watch TV. Right. Like you're going to have to do chores or go to work or whatever. So maybe it's more attractive with that timing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the thing? Oh, the other thing to think about is like some days you do have to come home or you, you end up at home. Your brain overrides and you get there. I think I like your you have to do chores or something, but you could also think about like what else today will make me better tomorrow. Well, that's where the meditation so or the perfect yoga. yoga maybe some core but i mean sometimes we need recovery but i think a lot of times things like bike maintenance could be done mm-hmm. you know make sure that tomorrow when you go and and you know do something or in two days when you go and try your intensity again after taking a rest day um you maybe have like a bike that's just like really ready to go right or, or you've taken care of something that's moving you towards your goal mm-hmm. um registration accommodation booking what else are you nervous about with this upcoming race? Things, you know, your your pack, you're getting, you know, food laid out and, and going through the math of the fueling strategy. Oh, looking at the course. Sure. Like Download the profile. tech guide. Reading the tech guide is a good one. So I think there's little steps you can take. And sometimes when we think about training, we're only thinking about the running or the pedaling on the bike. And we're forgetting about all the other stuff, right? We could make an argument for practicing cornering in a field if you're just, you know, not feeling great pedaling like you could certainly work on skills and maybe have a bit of fun like that if that's something that's accessible or relevant Mm -hmm. all right perfect and then the last thing we had talked about before this is the idea of that two-step authentication right yeah which is like one of my favorite uh, favorite ways to look at this now yeah i just came up with this yesterday after being asked by a robot to confirm that i wasn't a robot for like the 10th time in the day uh, Isn't that just what a robot would say, though? Yeah, exactly. So everything now, you know, this two-factor authentication. Oh, I boy. can't even say my own catchphrase here I've come up with. So the idea being that, like, if the wattage is low, that's one. But that's not, like, the reason to quit. And often there's sources of error. There's miscalibration and things like this, right? And and again, there's a range. So a lot of times what we're thinking we should be doing is a very fine pb like ultimate best day ever but there's a range usually that's like quite wide of what's reasonable and again we're putting half a hay bale into our our barn of fitness so with the two factor it might be like i feel horrible i wasn't motivated when i left my heart rate is super depressed i can't get it up and the wattage is crummy that's like multiple factor like confirmation i'm going to say confirmation instead now um so that would be a, a one way I would look at that, right? Where, you know, the feeling isn't great and the heart rate isn't great. Um, you know, whatever pace isn't great. 
and, and so just multiple things are sort of adding and we could, you know, add HRV, my HRV in the morning maybe was like off, but that's not the, like, that's not the reason for a bad day. There's lots of days I have that are great that HRV is maybe lower out of the range. I think you want to factor that in. And if it's again, multiple days or multiple things like, Oh, that felt really hard to push that wattage or heart rate. I usually ride at, then maybe that's a good sort of like two factor where the HRV is actually like okay something's a little different here so i think just thinking about it like that like one thing is not the thing that breaks you Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the most important part about that it's not really any two things right it's more just not freaking out about and wrapping it around to like oh i'm a little draggy yesterday we had sort of a busy day and we had sort of got our schedule disrupted because we were at a clinic on saturday and then had a uh, just some social stuff in the morning on a Sunday and like, I'm very much like I ride at nine or 10 AM and if I don't, it's just the day's ruined. But you know, it was fine. Like we got back and I was a little draggy and then like had to make myself go to the door. But once I got to the door, like my power and feeling on the bike was amazing. The ride went great. It was fine. He was literally the most dramatic human being I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it was like the the world was ending, but then it was just like, as long as I got at the door, then it was just like amazing power, great power, great feeling, like zero effort to just like get it done great heart rate responsive which for me is always tough so message being you know one like draggy out the door if you can beat that sensation then that that might be the only thing in the two factor you're a robot Mm -hmm. yeah all right with that in mind let's get into my conversation with simon marshall enjoy so let's let's talk motivation um first thing i wanted to kind of get your take on Lacking motivation to do a workout is normal, right? Like that's not a shocking <laughs> thing. Yeah, in fact, it's so normal. Uh, yeah, in fact, we all all of our motivation sort of ebbs and flows uh, in part because of biology, but also in part because of our environment, right? Mm-hmm. So we all know this as things suddenly get better when we're in new, new a newer environment. So we. We have a tendency to what we call habituate to our environment. We are creatures of habit. We sit in the same place every day. You know, we, we do things in the same order. And when you get out of your routine so that your, your kind of routine gets disrupted, something happens in us. And we, we know a little bit about what's happening in brain world, but suffice to say that it can really fuel you to do things that you perhaps found hard at home. So, uh, and this goes not just for training, uh, it goes for a whole host of things. People are struggling to to not eat as much or to give up or to drink less. They're able to do it, those things a lot more when they're not in their own environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, motivation and the environment are are tightly connected. Mm -hmm. And it's totally reasonable to occasionally not be motivated. We don't need to freak out and like switch our sport or anything. We just need to maybe shift our thinking. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. In fact, you know, we don't, when sometimes we have athletes come to us and say, how do I help? you know find some motivation as though it's hidden under a stone somewhere yeah. they just um, it's, it's lost down the side of their sofa right and I, if only i could find it again and 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 unfortunately motivation is always within us it just hasn't been think of it like a, an unlit fire starter or something like that right so yeah. we've always got it but we just need to find the things that kind of are the match the spark mm-hmm. to it and 
And the nice thing about motivation, just like a little fire starter, is that it, motivation begets motivation. So it's like a snowball. So once you have a bit, it's easier to get a bit more. And if you have a lot, it's easier to keep that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing is to go from nothing to some. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, light a fire without matches. So this is always the difficult challenge. So when we try and help people say, like, I know it feels like you're standing at the foot of Mount Everest at the moment and you can't possibly see how you're going get, to get up and over it. But trust me, after a week or two weeks of some basic sort of ha- getting into a little habit and suiting up and trying things, there's a whole host of strategies we can use to help that. It becomes easier. So your head, your head space now won't be the same head in a week's time or two weeks time. So when you are at that more difficult port where there's a little bit longer riding or more intensity coming up. So we have to trust the motivation snowball that once it keeps rolling, it will be a lot easier to keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's kind of what a lot of the, the writers that I'm kind of working on this article around motivation have said. So what I thought would be kind of a fun thing to do, or I think it's a fun thing, I want to read you a couple of their yeah. tips for motivation. And I want to hear if you have a yeah. thought on like why it works. So sort of sure. like what's the psych behind what they're saying. So yeah. the first one says that he, when he doesn't want to work out, he thinks about his teammates and he thinks he wants to be better for the whole team as well as just for himself. So to me, his, his why is his teammates. So why yeah. does that work? <laughs> why? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's a good, that's a, a good, an astute observation, actually, to just be a, as an athlete, to be aware that there are things that are more appealing to you or things that are, are, are easier fire starters for your motivation than others rather than just kind of banging your head against the wall just to keep doing the same things as you've always done. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we know is, that, and I'll use the analogy that we use in our book, if, you, if, you, if that's okay, with the chimp brain and the professor brain, the frontal cortex, the rational thinking you being the professor and the limbic system, the emotional paranoid feeling impulse fight or flight center being the chimp. So your chimp brain has a lot of uh, uh, impulses, needs and drives that it wants to feel safe, accepted, loved and secure and so on. So in when we're no longer living in worlds where we're going to our lives are in danger for the most of us anyway that's that's true but there are things these higher order needs like feeling accepted and feeling appreciated and feeling encouraged your chimp is really motivated most of the time to have those needs met it always feels nice to have a few strokes right (laughs) to get Mm -hmm. some praise and to get some likes this is why social media is so popular it's Mm -hmm. chimp brain pornography (laughs) right because it, it it, it appeals to that need for our chimp to be recognized and accepted and approved and so on. So we use that, those, those sort of that fundamental fire starter for our motivation in our sport. So if you are struggling because you've been on, in the garage on a trainer for three months uh, because of the weather and so on, any, this is why Zwift can uh, really help. Any, any opportunity that you can get to make it about something other than just you is going to help. Your chimp will be like it when you're around like-minded people this is how this is why we have accountability buddies this is why we the power of doing things in a group this is why all of those things really help so anytime you can do something in a group where you don't feel 
judged, criticized, or evaluated, which is what your chimp will run away from rather than run to, uh, rather than supported, you have a good time, you can have some fun, uh, and it's sort of a right healthy level of competitiveness mm -hmm. for you, then your chimp brain is going to be attracted to that. So give your chimp what it needs, right? Particularly <laughs> if, you're stuck, if you're stuck down in a basement on a trainer. <laughs> I like that visual. I'm just like picturing feeding a, a monkey. I know, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. So that's probably why he, that's probably why for him or her why that that feels a little bit more motivating. That's great. I love that. Um, the next one, I love this guy because he was just so honest, and I kind like it's it's a great one. He's like, I honestly don't know how I go hard. I just know that in the sport you need to suffer and you get used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that too. That's that's that should be tattooed in you know whatever. So that's a really good observation. So what we know is that when you know exercise at higher intensity hurts, and anyone that tells you that they love the pain or is 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 either lying or they're on some weird medication because yes. <laughs> fundamentally the human brain and the, our, our physiologic system does not like noxious stimulation. It doesn't like to feel uncomfortable. And the same, that's also true of, of high, like threshold type intensity. So hard intensity is, is really difficult to do. So what is it about that, that? How do I get better at doing that if I don't like it? Well, we now know, for example, that athletes, for example, have a higher pain, exercise pain tolerance than non-athletes. We know that people who practice putting themselves in situations that are discomforting are better at coping with discomfort than people who don't practice it. So one of the common threads here is, or the common themes in the research is that you have to earn the ability to cope with pain, not you can't learn it, you have to earn it, right? Mm. So the, the, bottom line, the bottom line here is yes, you know, uh, that you can read as many books as you like about how to embrace the suck. And ours, our book included in that, right? But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you want to truly, so our books like ours and other people about how you come can help you kind of intellectualize the strategies you can use when you're in the moment. But all that's doing is telling you what tools you need. It doesn't tell you actually make you better at using those tools and coping. So you have to expose yourself to discomfort. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons for that is because of a neuro uh, a scientific concept called neuroplasticity. You might have heard of that phrase, mm -hmm. um, neuroplasticity. And all that means is that our brain has like plastic qualities to it. It can be, it's ever changing and it can move and change based on the environments that it's in. And our brain, we know from, from how the synapses are connected to neural pathways they change in response to the situations that we find ourselves in. And one of those, uh, and we may even know parts of the brain that this located, for example, an area called the anterior cingulate cortex, which helps regulate perception of effort, perceived exertion. It tells us how an exercise feels, how something, how hard something feels. So we know that there are some filtering going on. So when we actually force ourselves to experience discomfort, our brain is physically adapting to that so that it becomes easier next time. We're training our brain literally, not just figuratively, literally we are training our brain to adapt to cope with discomfort mm -hmm. that only so much intellectualizing can do, but actually being in that moment can help it. So parts of our brain get denser, they get thicker, certain structures that help regulate and control this pain discomfort. So, so we say that we want, to, we want to try and almost force ourselves to be in the hurt locker, not too much, but we need to do it fairly regularly so that we don't 
forget a detrain and we know that as i forgot how to hurt right mm-hmm. and any any racing cyclist knows that the first race of the season always Oof, feels yeah. one of the worst because you've forgotten how to hurt yourself so um so we can detrain as well so neuroplasticity works both ways the brain strengthens but it also weakens if we don't force it to practice so getting putting yourself in those situations mental toughness uh sessions higher intensity sessions is is probably the quickest way to get better at doing it so do it more often mm-hmm. yeah that <laughs> i don't like that but <laughs> it's, it's i know i know I, w- I wish i wish there was a Oh, just uh, sing this song to yourself backwards and finger tap yeah. and you'll suddenly be yeah, exactly. superhuman. Yeah. Well, and on that note, though, the next one, like three of the women on the team said playlist, putting on yeah. you know, the go to playlist. How, why does that get us like and I know for me, you know, I'm doing my runs. The warm up podcast is on. But like when it's the intervals, yeah. I got to put the music on. Yep, yep, yep. So music is is a, a, a huge ergogenic aid, and the research is so consistent with this. When we do tests to exhaustion on treadmills and on, on er- bike ergometers, we know that when, when people listen to music that they like, not, not just forced to listen to music you hate, when you, when you listen to music you like, you're, and, and there's, there's certain characteristics of music that improve uh, exercise performance, your perceived exertion drops, your time to exhaustion goes up. So you just become a bit more physically resilient in the presence of music. So the question is, why? Because most of us can relate to that. We, it's, it feels nice to go to the gym or to work out to music. So why is it? What is so special about music? Well, one thing, one, and there's some, th- there's some competing theories about this, but in general, what we think, there's a couple of things probably going on. One is that, the parts of our brain that are working when there's music playing are not the same parts of our brain when we're thinking, when will this be over? How long have I got to endure this for? This sucks. I'm bored. Uh, oh, what have I, did I feed the cat? Have I locked the car door? You know, or any other, any, all the other sort of distractions that we have. So, and one of the reasons for that is that there are parts of our brain that we in our book, we call it the computer brain, but other sort of um, authors uh, have different names for this but in essence we're trying to tap into that part of our brain that runs on autopilot right the rest of our head can kind of switch off and we default to running like an auto routine Mm -hmm. just as you would do you don't have to think about when you walk or you have a conversation when you're driving you haven't got to think about okay what do I how do I drive and still talk you kind of can do automatically so there's some tasks that we can sort of default to our computer brain to run automatically and and biking is one of those if we're experienced we don't have to constantly think about how to steer or how to corner we just kind of do it because we're so used to doing it Mm -hmm. so what we're trying to do is whenever the chimp brain and the professor brain start getting agitated they're thinking too much they're feeling discomfort they are they get their occupying bandwidth in your head to try and convince you Molly, why don't you do something that's actually more enjoyable? You don't have to do this tonight. Do it tomorrow. You can do your hard session later or whatever it happens to be. So we would need to sort of have a strategy of quieting down that noise. And one of the, the notions in the brain is that we have something called a limited channel capacity. And all that means is that we don't really in brain world have picture in picture, right? Only one part of our brain can really be in charge at any one time. And even... Even when we're multitasking, it's not actually multiple parts of our brain or multiple things working at the same time. It's just that we're very good at switching tasks 
at such speed, it looks as though that we're doing things at, at, at the same time. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So when you have music on, that's really what it's doing. It's actually forcing parts of our brain, our computer brain, to kind of pay into simple things that a brain, that part of our brain loves, repetition, something that has sort of a metronomic, rhythmic quality to it, right? This mm-hmm. is why music is good. This is why counting works the same way. This is why mantras, it's the same phrase over and over again, all explained in the same ways that it kind of is it's nudging, giving a sharp nudge in the ribs for a part of our brain to take over our, our thought processes, our mindset, and that down-regulates the, or crowds out the, the chimp telling you don't do it it's hurt stop it and the or it's crowding out the professor brain saying you don't have to do this now and this is stupid you know why you do that or or, or this is sucks how long will this go on for so that seems to be really helpful so music what we would say or i would recommend certainly is find music that has a good um complement to the route of the emotional or mental state that you need to be in so as the intensity of the exercise goes up the, the strength of the music has to also go up does that make sense yeah so if you try in other words if you try and listen to i don't know uh, adele. To, to make fun of Ken, <laughs> adele yeah exactly i think i was going to say kenny g so, <laughs> okay adele adele is perfect adele is perfect so i'm listening to one of you know a sultry adele song in the warm-up and i can really enjoy it but adele isn't going to help me when i'm at FTP plus 20%, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I find, and our attentional field, when, when the discomfort gets greater, our attentional field narrows. In other words, it's harder to focus on other things to get to be distracted. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, in other words, the little, the li- I, I don't know what another uh, kind of funny a, a metaphor here is, but the person trying to distract you with niceties on the sideline, as, you, as things become more and more painful, it's harder to pay attention to the distraction. So the, the, so the distraction has to, the signal of the distraction has to increase, right? The person waving has to be bigger or f- flying a stronger flag or shouting at you louder. And the same is true of music. So when you ask people, when you're really, really suffering, what kind of music do you listen to? A lot of them, you'll be surprised. They say it, the music is kind of a bit angry, right? Or mm-hmm. it might have some more sort of, you know, a little bit more um, risque lyrics or they're kind of stuff I wouldn't usually listen to if I'm on the car, but I love like, like Leslie is a good example. She listens to German techno music, right? I, I mean, yes. I would rather... <laughs> I would rather stab my own eyes out than listen to that, right? But, but I'm rarely in the, in, the, in the effort state that she's in that gets her through those sessions. So think of your playlists as curating them according to the sorts of sessions that you have to do. So match the, make the signal, uh, uh, music signal, the tempo of it, the lyrics, the sort of general level of get up ready for itness louder as you as the intensity goes up perfect i love it um and then so this one is actually from my thoughts and i know you talked about in the book it's almost kind of negative motivation for me it's like okay well you don't want to do this run great you're not going to go watch netflix you're going to go clean the bathrooms or you're going to write this article (laughs) that you're going to transcribe this interview is probably like the, the scariest one for me and like suddenly right, I'm, right. I'm really motivated to get out the door. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, yeah, you've stumbled upon a concept in psychology called contingency management. Again, mm. I apologise on behalf of all <laughs> psychologists for that rather terrible phrase, contingency management. So all that means is the contingencies, the consequences, or the they can be rewards or they can be punishment or the consequence of doing something. We're managing them to help us cope with the things that we like doing or don't like doing, right? So, so, and we know, for example, that our brain will sort of uh, cut deals with itself. The mm-hmm. chimp brain will cut deals with the professor. And that's really what's happening with that. The chimp brain wants to do things that are pleasurable, that are enjoyable, that make it feel accepted, loved, secure, blah, 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 blah. The professor brain wants you to do the right thing, right? That's right for the time, that makes sense, that follows the investment that you've put into it, all facts and logic. So when we start cutting deals with ourselves about, oh, if you do that, I'll give you this, it really reflects the argument that's going on between your chimp and your professor, a bit like a parent and a child in a way, right? So your, your chimp is saying, I don't want to do this. But then your, your professor brain is saying, but if you just do this one thing, I'll give you this. And the chimp, because it's a bit dumb, uh, is like, oh, okay, oh, oh, all right, then are you sure? How do I know that you will do that? So, so there's sort of, we set up these little games that we play in our own head that we can sort of tease our chimp. We're managing our chimp to do things or go along with things that it perhaps doesn't want to in exchange for some reward down the line and your chimp will always love rewards so that's a really good strategy that m- many people use the difficulty of course is when it comes to enforcement mm-hmm. <laughs> right because you've got to remember that your chimp is the stronger of the two in your head it's five times quicker than five times stronger so when it comes to the reward um the uh professor brain is saying okay you've earned that cappuccino after that hard ride or whatever it happens to be and your chimp brain you know slurps that up uh, gratefully or whatever but then the chimp brain will want more of that thing or let's have another one and then the professor brain saying no this was just one it's just this one time and then when your chimp brain when you feed your chimp brain with what it wants the arousal level of it kind of increases right and we know this there are studies to show that when your chimp is aroused by food, and when I say aroused, I'm using this in the psychological sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning that it's, it's more... It's a, <laughs> not the, like, rated explicit not, podcast not, not sense. Chimp, not yeah, exactly, as a chimp has a lady boner. But um, <laughs> when, so, when you're, so when your chimp is sort of in a heightened state, that's better, a heightened state uh, of sensitivity to that thing, it becomes even more bullish and it wants something even more. So if we give in to that, your chimp then, uh, like, and you have a second glass <laughs> or another one, another treat or another thing of that thing that was only promised one. You're, rather than you thinking, oh, I'm really do it helping my chimp out, what you're actually doing is you're, you're sort of separating or you're breaking that management of that contingency, right? So it's a, it's a think of it like an if-then statement. If you do this, I'll give you this. But, and your chimp, just like a training a dog or a little kid, you know, in many ways, that's probably a poor analogy for parents out there, but... <laughs> But um, we're, we're sort of we're messing with the strength of that association. We're changing the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so your chimp really doesn't do well with that because now it knows that it can get more. So that thing is no longer the the power of one unit of that thing is no longer as motivating because I used to get two of them and so on. So we need to be quite strict 
uh, with how we do those. And sometimes we have to be so strict that we have to outsource them. So in other words, we have to make a third party responsible for the reward mm. so that we don't get caught up in this slight trap. So there are some ways that you can do that. And you, there are a ton of apps now, but, you know, these social accountability apps that you you put in, you know, $100 and then you get $100 back if you complete all the challenges or something like that. So, so these methods that we use to outsource the rewarding are simply there to try and up the ante, up the stakes, so it doesn't just become a, a little internal battle between, between your own chimp and your professor. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, the other one, one of the, the women on the team came up with is reminding herself that not every workout is going to be a personal best. So if you're feeling super unmotivated, you're feeling just kind of like meh that day, it doesn't really matter. It's not like that workout has to be your absolute best thing. Yeah, that's so great to, to see and to take that pressure off. And it's, it takes the pressure off you, right? Mm -hmm. you, give, you give yourself permission to not have to, to, to be fast or be efficient every single time. Some sessions really suck it doesn't mean that you don't try you know effort and attitude every session but some sessions aren't going to go as well as others and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to that right that's the frustrating thing often about being an athlete so what we say is think of your your athleticism your athletic training life career whatever history as like a sculpture so you're trying to make say you're trying to carve something out of wood you've got a big block of wood in front of you and every training session or race is just one little chip with a little chisel off that block to make it into something that you hopefully want it to look like at the end. So in that sense, every opportunity, every racing and training uh, episode is an opportunity to like, should I take a bit more off? Should I take a bit less off? Let's stand back. How's it looking? What will I do different next time to make that look more like a nose <laughs> or whatever, whatever. So, so we try and so, what we the reason we do this is to say takes the pressure off individual sessions an individual session doesn't mean anything in the big scheme of things there are some sessions that are more important than others clearly like races or breakthrough or key workouts but for the most part they're all just another opportunity to get some feedback about what you need to do differently next time. Mm -hmm. More base fitness, more speed, more, oh, I'm not going to do this after work. I'm going to do it before work because it's like trying to get on the trainer at 6.30 p.m. is looking horrible, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. So, so all of these things. So we're trying to treat this as opportunities to figure out what works better and what doesn't. And then... Once we do that and we take the pressure off, we then can start to say, well, maybe the goal of this session is not about sticking to this zone or to do 12 minutes above FTP for that long, whatever it happens to be. It's just simply about if you get on, and most of us know halfway through the session that today is not my day, right? Because mm -hmm. everything hates and hurts, and all you want to do is just get the fuck off the bike. Yep. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, or, you, or you've been on the trainer, and you can't the thought of being another hour on the trainer, and your biscuits are already so fucking red raw <laughs> that you can't handle it anymore, right? So you're thinking... This is just miserable. So it becomes then we shift the goals to becoming a mental toughness session. A persist the goal is persistence. So everything you duck you turn the watch around, you put, you know, electrical tape over a post it over the garment so you can't see how much you're actually sucking. 
it just becomes about get surviving or getting through it. And then mm-hmm. what you need to do is uh, once you've made that distinction, doesn't matter about pace, it just means about getting through it. You then start to segment that effort into tiny, tiny chunks. And we've spoken about this before. I know is that the other thing that your brain loves, not just music and rhythm, but it loves breaking things up into smaller segments. Yeah. Um, if you think, and anytime, if you have to do three hours on a stationary trainer, Oh my God, I'd rather <laughs> drink a quart of bleach. Yes. Right. Uh, but, but what I can do is I can do 20 minutes and then after 20 minutes, I'll see how I feel. And if I want to do another 20 minutes, I will. And lo and behold, because of our, how our dopaminergic reward system works, uh, we get through one little milestone and our, mo- our biological motivation to continue is increased because we now have more dopamine. So we, oh, I'll do another 20 minutes. Oh, I'm, well, I'm now halfway through. I might as well. And so that's the snowball of motivation to continue. So we, we leverage that to our advantage by saying it's mental toughness. Nothing else matters. Just get through it. Okay, let's just get through the next 10 minutes and then I'll make a decision. Let's just get through another five minutes and then I'll make another decision. And you use that little backwards and forwards as a way to get you through those sessions in a far more economical way. Awesome. Um, And then kind of almost on the flip side of this, at what point do you just need the day off? Like, do you have a kind of way that you would measure this where it's like, oh my God, I've just been so unmotivated. I've been pushing myself through these workouts for, you know, seven days now and it's not getting any better and I still just do not feel like doing this. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, when Again, do we stop trying to trick ourselves and just be like, I, I know, off. right? I know. <laughs> uh, psychologists even have a fancy name for that. They've got na- fancy names for anything. Everything. I love the fancy um, names. So, so, so psychologists call that goal disengagement. Mm. <laughs> I, I laugh just even saying the words because it's so fucking ridiculous. So goal disengagement is when do I know when to disengage from my goal to step away, right? Uh, so what we generally say is, and this is the answer to that question that you asked, is, uh, is uh, really quite nuanced because it depends on what we don't want to put people at risk of injury, of overtraining and all that sort of force. It becomes supposed to be fun and now it's a chore. I'm not really enjoying it. So we try and unpack the reasons why you don't want to uh, with a little bit more sophistication. So we try and, you know, almost like do an audit of the, 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 the quitting or the not wanting to start. So in our, we often talk about the two types of quitting and quitting can be quitting during, like, I don't want to do this anymore. You climb off or it can be, I'm not even going to start doing that. I don't want to do that. So I'm just not going to do it. So you've quit before you start. So we talk about the legit quit and the shit quit. I don't know if you remember those two phrases that we use. So, a legit quit is a quit that is for a legitimate reason. And anybody who cares about your health or your, you as a person will say, yes, I agree. You shouldn't do this anymore because I mean, about a single session or your involvement in sports. So we're talking legit quits are when there's a real risk of harm or trauma or illness to you. If you keep going, no one would recommend that, you know, someone who's having an asthma attack, just keep pushing through it. Mm -hmm. No one would recommend that you run on a stress fracture. No, blah, blah, blah. So on, on and on, we could go with those, but that also applies to some emotional legitimate reasons as well. And not just in sport, but, you know, staying in an unhappy and miserable relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That's a legitimate reason to quit. If things aren't going to change, why should you just stick it out when things are miserable? Same for in a job that you hate. 
So in sport, if it's if you've fallen out of love with the sport and it doesn't do the same thing for you anymore, you don't really enjoy it as much, or you've forgotten why you're doing it, that might also be a good reason to have a bit of a legit quit. And in actual fact, even with those what we do in sport and um, we say if you're not sure about your relationship or whether i want to do this as much i'm not talking about just it's thursday afternoon thursday evening do i do this tonight or can i put it off till tomorrow i'm talking about a bit more of a fundamental oh god another season or another month of this i don't know if i want to do this anymore mm-hmm. a good idea is you can sort of pressure test that motivation by forcing yourself to have a time out from it like a four-week block off or a two-week block off or a period where you don't do it and importantly that has to be a non-routine hiatus from it so you don't do this like oh it's naturally it's off season or it's um it's a taper week so i'm going to see how i feel because they would always be part of your natural up and down of training anyway so Mm -hmm. this is an out of the usual stepping away moment and what you do is you then try and examine um how that fits with you right so you're trying on for size you not having the sport for a while so if you find yourself getting a bit antsy or agitated or you really things that you kind of took for granted you miss now about it it might be a sign that you still want to do it or if you say you know what i've filled my time now with so many other things and i I keep my body in good shape because i now do this instead of that and i don't if i'm honest i don't actually miss it it's kind of a relief to not have my weekends back you know all that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. so if you come into those conclusions we know that they're really good obviously legit quits but the what gets most of us in trouble uh and this is probably the 90 percent of the quits are these shit quits and the shit quits <laughs> are simply when so shit quits unlike legit quits are when you've quit because you just don't really want to hurt right mm-hmm. you just just you can't be bothered or i just you know i i i just don't want to be i don't want to get cold right or whatever it happens to be so in other words there's no long-term risk to your health your emotional well-being your relationship your you know blah 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 it's just a kind of an in the moment uh, uh desire to avoid something that's fairly discomforting so so there's a whole host of things that you can do for that as well um one really great strategy is a bit like the get out of jail free card is that you think of it like you give yourself each week and that, and some things that i work with i put depending on where they train they put three plastic rubber ducks on their top of their refrigerator. I know this sounds bizarre. Just bear with me. <laughs> so, three, <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> right, three, three miniature plastic ducks. I don't know why plastic duck. I think one of the first things I did with this chose a plastic duck. But anyway, so I keep using plastic. So you have three of them, and and you're allowed. These are your get out of jail free cards. You can use these like trump cards any time during the week to get out of any session, I'm just taking the context of training now and racing, any session without any having to feel guilty, without having to defend it, without, it's like a, a little ready-made sick note, right? Um, now, now, sometimes, depending on how bad the, the shit-quit problem is with you, I might give you three a week, I might give you three a month, I might give you one, uh, but the bottom line is when you've used up that one or two or three, there are no more. You have to now complete everything that's in on your schedule to the best of your ability, you know, notwithstanding that conversation about shit quit. So a legit quit. So what this really does psychologically, it gives you a bit of a mental comfort blanket to say, okay, I can sort of, I got an opportunity if I want to sort of 
just not do that today. It's fine. I'm not just a total, you know, letting my myself got a training pizza count. It's red and I have to stare at a red session not completed and that drives me crazy or so on. But it, what it does is um, it gives you permission. That's a huge thing. Your chimp is a little bit more ha- is a little bit happier, and your professor brain is certainly happier. But then it also forces you to be a bit more selective about is this really one of those sessions I want to use this on? Now, surely I know it's a ninety-minute session on the trainer, um, and but I have got some Netflix and I have got a three-hour ride on mm-hmm. Friday outside, and I might need it then. So I don't want to use this one fucking rubber duck I've got left on this when I could, when I might need it. And so you're cutting deals again, chimp cutting deals to your, your professor cutting deals to your chimp. So, uh, so you can use this as a, a, a good way to sort of, um, cut deals with yourself to give yourself permission to, to, to do stuff that you don't want to. Um, but in terms of most of the other times we have what we call a, uh, like a quit audit in our book. In fact, we, it's a little, it's a little, a little exercise that we have people do. And we ask them to write down all of the instances where they really kind of threw in the mental towel, right? So um, it might be that, you know, if I'm honest, I got home from work. It was a bit later than usual. It was pretty stressful. And all I wanted was a glass of wine. I didn't want to get on the trainer. And I just blew the trainer off. Fuck it. I just, I just can't be bothered with it. I want to chat to hubby. I wanted to see so on. I, I just didn't want to do it. Okay, fine. So, what we do is we take all of those instances where you think that you kind of, it's a, a genuine shit quit. We all shit quit all the time. There's not something that's wrong with you if you do this more. Yeah. It's just that this is part of the brain tendency. So, and then we start to sort of untangle them. Like what are the reasons, for example, we say, what are the reasons that you gave to the world about why you didn't do it? And then what are the, the darker reasons that are private that you never mentioned? So it might be that you said, give me the example, come out from work, I wanted to have a glass of wine, talk to hubby and blah, blah. I said, and I, what I actually said when hubby said to me, Hey, I thought you were supposed to be, are you going on the trainer? No, I mean, I just like, Oh, actually my, you know, my knee's been a bit painful. I, I, I've got to send some emails before, but you know, whatever. And you know, full well, that yes, of course, there'll always be those things that could be true, but they're not the real reason. I just can't be fucking bothered. Yep. If I'm honest. <laughs> right. So, and then you start, you start to uh, write, about those deeper, darker things as well. And, and try and be as articulate as you can about them. Uh, describe what's, you know, the nature of the not can't be botheredness. And then you rate all of those decisions on a scale of one to 10, the 10 being def- definitely shit quit, one being definitely not shit quit. And you look for patterns in your tendency to, to, to sort of climb off, if there's a, to use that analogy. Um, So, and then what that helps you do is to see what situations you're a bit more vulnerable to shit quitting in, right? And it might be long day, you know, stressful long day at work um, and I have to do training in the afternoon or evening. That might be the, you know, the the through line of the instances where you don't want to. And there's, there's a whole is a whole host of science about what's happening in brain world to make you not want to do that. That's a whole, that can be a whole other conversation, but suffice to say that if we can know what our tendencies are, because we're forced to be aware of them using this exercise, we can plan for them in a lot more effective ways. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. I feel like 
I think my thing is like if you're questioning if you should take a day off, if you're trying to find a reason to take a day off, you probably don't need to take a day off. And if you're trying to rationalize not taking a day off, you probably need the day off. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right. So this, there's, another, there's another concept that you may have heard of called cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? So yes. cognitive dissonance is just, <laughs> just a psychologist's phrase for we, in all of our heads, sit two opposing sides to every issue, right? We all are conflicted about most things in life. Very, very rarely are we only ever have a, a pro column and there's no con column. Mm-hmm. And this even goes for behaviors that we know are pretty damaging to our health, right? Even, mm-hmm. you know, you ask a smoker to do this, there'll be lots of advantages of keep going doing the shitty things that are hurting you. So in all of us, we have now your brain doesn't like to have uh, a conflict, right? Um, dissonant doesn't like to have dissonant competing thoughts. That's where the cognitive dissonance comes from. So it'll always try and resolve the dissonance to make it more harmonious in brain world, right? So there's not con- in a conflict. And, and the, the way that the, your brain does this is quite remarkable. One of the strategies, it will go, um, it will over-rationalize or intellectualize so that the pro column outweighs the con column, right? So it will make that list really long, but not mm-hmm. really make the con list very long, right? So and so on, or it will use some denial or avoidance or any other strategy, or some maybe some self sabotage. Starting to, 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 to understand but, all of my high school relationships all of a sudden. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, this works for so many things in life. Um, and again, all completely normal and and very very common strategies. Um, and and this boils and cognitive dissonance isn't just about our sport or about high school relationships. It's also about things that we hold dear like opinions like if you look at the landscape of political discourse it's is and the problems that we have at the moment particularly in the u.s is grounded in cognitive dissonance so you'd think that when someone is presented with an opposing fact a fact that opposes their belief system right climate change is not real yes it is look 97 percent of scientists agree you'd think that oh someone would change their mind when faced with opposing information that contra- but they don't they actually do the opposite they become more entrenched in their thinking right it's totally counterintuitive but the reason is because of cognitive dissonance i have so much invested in thinking and believing this way that if you're now going to suddenly come around and tell me that there is no santa claus right or whatever mm-hmm. that 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 thing is for you rather than say oh i better get used to life with no santa claus now (sighs) what we actually do is we double down on our belief system to force ourselves to make it our belief system true right Mm -hmm. so we go on the attack we attack the source we call it fake news we um we might just uh do whataboutism you know well you've done this too see it's not just me so our heads are constantly trying to reconcile to keep the internal conflict down to a minimum. So we do this with our sport as well uh, when it comes to um, things that we don't really want to have to deal with in training mm-hmm. because we don't like to feel as though, oh my God, I have this big session, but I'm paying for a coach. And what's, what the fuck are you paying for a coach then if you're not going to do the work? I mean, come yep. on, you're spending all this money, you're spending all this money and you've got in a conflict immediately. 
so we start to find we gravitate to weird and wonderful some you know mental acrobatics to justify in our head why the course of action that we actually want to do our chimp wants us to do is the right one Does that make sense yeah yeah also i'm now thinking about the santa claus one and like me just trying to convince myself that like my parents just help santa it's not the, the <laughs> yeah, presence yeah. in the closet is helping him out he doesn't have that much right stuff. right exa- exactly exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> i think i i did that for like two or three years before my brain finally admitted that <laughs> there was no santa we're gonna have to include a thing in the I intro know. that's just like if you're in the car with your kids listening to this hands over their I know, ears <laughs> i know oh, that's a good point that's a good point Too forget the cursing santa. it's really the santa issue <laughs> that's right it's right <laughs> I know. Uh, but I, I, th- I think, you know, for, for thoughts and beliefs that we cling to with such a fervor, we have to sort of analyze them. And in fact, when you look at all of the treatments for cognitive dissonance, I say treatments in an air quote way, say, mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we de-bias our thinking? The, the, the founding, the, the hallmark of all of the strategies is something called metacognitive skill. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, meta, or metacognition. And all that means is uh, meta is some bigger picture. So meta thinking or metacognitive is thinking about how we think, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're training someone to be have good metacognitive skills, you're forcing them, well, not forcing them, you're sort of coaching them, teaching them to understand how they think. Just, for example, learning about chimp and professor is a metacognitive exercise in itself, right? Because I'm forcing myself to reflect on how my how my thinking works i'm thinking about my thinking does that make sense mm-hmm. so so these debiasing uh techniques that we use to con- manage cognitive bi- cognitive dissonance and a whole host of other cognitive biases that we fall foul of are uh, they start with saying let's look at the train of thinking that led us to to be in this situation what where does it break down in in logic where we start to say, no, no, I'm still going to cling to this belief, even though I know mm-hmm. that it's not true. And, and you can use this analogy for, but movies have been made about this, about take religion. If you, if you somehow had the answer to, is there a God or not, right? You have somehow magically found this answer. The pa- what would you do with that information? So if I start to then say, um, there was a book, uh, a, a film by, with Ricky Gervais in about when he realized that, you know, in the afterlife, do you, I don't know if you ever saw it, it's really funny. But, but what it boils down to is to say, sometimes living in some level of ignorance uh, or obscurity from the actual fact, uh, is sometimes is not bad, right? Yeah. It, because it helps us go on in life. It gives us, listen, uh, religion gives people, I, don't know, I hate to pick on religion here, but religious thinking gives people a lot of purpose and meaning and direction and, and moral and ethical thinking in life. Why, why do you want to pull that from out from under somebody? It's just that, mm-hmm. that, that is unethical, right? So, so we have to use our ability to use distant, cognitive distant reduced strategies in a fairly responsible way as well, right? This is why well, I'm telling you, four-year-old child, that there's no Santa Claus because if you're going to hear it eventually and you need to know the truth. And, like, who benefits from that? Nobody, right? <laughs> so, so, so the responsibility of that comes fairly weak. So we can take this down onto a fairly simple level, like when it comes to climbing on a trainer at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night, right? Listen, I'm using all of the tricks to convince myself why it's okay to not ride. 
right? And I don't care that I'm lying to myself fundamentally mm-hmm. because you know what? I'll I know that fundamentally I'll get back to the session. And one it's the sculpturing analogy. One session doesn't define me or make me into a great or bad person, athlete, whatever, whatever. So I, and I move on. So ignorance can be bliss sometimes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Oh man, I know we could probably just keep talking for like eight hours, but we've already <laughs> gone for an hour about motivation. So I think that's that's an awesome place to start. So tell everyone where they can find you and remind everyone where they can take your class now. Yes, yeah, so um, you can find uh, me and Leslie, my wife, Leslie Patterson, at uh, uh, www.braveheartcoach.com braveheartcoach.com and we even have a little uh, smog test we call it so you can uh, email us a few little questions and you can email us with those questions and we call you up and we have a a 15 minute no string we're not trying to sell you coaching or training with us just a a talk through the some of the stuff you're dealing with and how to help uh so we invite people who are interested in either the physical training components or the mental training components to do that uh, and or you can read our book called The Brave Athlete. Uh, and that's available from, well, places they sell books. So now, you know, Amazon mm-hmm. for most people now. Right. And there's an audio book as well that we've rec- we, we narrate. Leslie and I narrate that you can listen to that, that talks about all these concepts in much more detail. Amazing. I love it. Simon, thank you so much for this. It's It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And it's really fun, I think, like getting to do that where I got to go through what athletes have said and kind of hear your, your take on it and break it down. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure, Molly. Always lovely to talk to you. You too. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, You can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone, and it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. 